Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 through 25. It says, For look, I am ready to create new heavens and a new earth. The former ones will not be remembered. No one will think about them anymore. But be happy and rejoice forevermore over what I am about to create. For look, I am ready to create Jerusalem to be a source of joy and her people to be a source of happiness. Jerusalem will bring me joy and my people will bring me happiness. The sound of weeping or cries of sorrow will never be heard in her again. Never again will one of her infants live just a few days, or an old man die before his time. Indeed, no one will die before the age of 100. Anyone who fails to reach the age of 100 will be considered cursed. They will build houses and live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build a house only to have another live in it, or plant a vineyard only to have another eat its fruit. For my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will enjoy to the fullest what they have produced. They will not work in vain or give birth to children that will experience disaster. For the Lord will bless their children and their descendants. Before they even call out, I will respond. While they are still speaking, I will hear. A wolf and a lamb will graze together. A lion like an ox will eat straw, and a snake's food will be dirt. They will no longer injure or destroy on my entire royal mountain, says the Lord. Amen. Tim, do you mind reading uh, Psalm 126 for me? You got it? I can, I can pull it up right here for you. You got it? Cool. I'll give you a mic so people can hear you. Hi, guys. Good morning. <laughs> uh, when the Lord restores the fortress of Zion... We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortress, Lord, like streams in the Neveg. Those who sow the tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carry seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Heather's going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28 for us. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work, and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. 
be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the holy stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff uh, at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Dear brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss. I command you in the name of Jesus to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'm going to read to you today um, a passage from uh, John chapter 3. We're going to read John chapter 3, verses uh, 22 through 30. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. It says, Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown in the prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met the other, on the other side of the Jordan River the one you identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people. And everyone is going to him instead of coming to us. And John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Amen. Lord, we thank you today for your word. Pray that you would just be glorified today. That you'd help us today, Lord, to honor you in all that we do. And may you just be our guide today. Let your word speak truth to us. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Tim, can you go on the board and uh, just turn the fader down for the lapel mic a little bit? Um, I feel like I'm going to be <laughs> as we're uh, talking. I don't want that. I need to be able to breathe without. Um... That's good. Well, bring it down a little bit more. Yeah. Thank you. That'll work. Yeah. Um, amen. <laughs> Got a little ring going on here, so that's why I want to make sure that we're uh, you guys aren't here. Did you guys hear that ring when we were, I was talking? No? It's just my hearing aids? That's fair. That's fair. It happens. Um, so I want to talk to you guys for a few minutes about um, the idea of us um, understanding these passages today and what it means for us to uh, kind of be drawn into those today um, for a few moments. And so... We're going to look at it um, today, and I promise I'll get you out before the breakfast is done. Um, 
being eaten. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, but we want to talk to you guys about uh, this concept today, and I think it's an important uh, truth for us to, to think about in our hearts and our minds and our lives. And so uh, we're going to look at that today, um, and hopefully God can speak to our hearts as we, uh, as we connect these truths, because they really are important for us. So we're going to look at the idea of us um, embracing humility and hope in God's new creation. Embracing humility and hope in God's new creation. So I want us to think about that today as we uh, connect these truths, because I believe the Lord is revealing his word to us. We have an opportunity in it uh, to be challenged and to be changed. And so we've read these passages, and hopefully these passages are um, something that we can um, hold on to, that we can cling to, that we can see God in. And so Psalm 65, Psalm, or Isaiah 65, Psalm 126, and 1 Thessalonians 5 uh, were the, the main uh, meat. But then we're going to spend most of our time in John 3, okay? So we're not going to break down extensively all the passages we're going to extensively try to predominantly stay in John chapter 3 because while I think all these passages are important, I think they, what they do is they offer us uh, an, an opportunity to see uh, a tapestry of humility, hope, and renewal in God's plan. So we are going to briefly touch on them, but it's not going to be uh, equal part, part, uh, part uh, you know, 25% each. It's going to be mostly John 3 this morning. And you guys are probably like, praise the Lord. He'll finish up sooner. Um, but what we do see in uh, this idea here is this concept of humility, hope, and renewal. Humility, hope, and renewal in God's divine plan. Tim, can you turn it down a little bit more? I don't know what it is. There you go. Let's try that. All right. <laughs> so what, what does Isaiah do here? He presents a, a message, a vision of a new creation. Now, we've heard this passage uh, so many times probably in our lives, and we, we can probably think about uh, this concept of uh, this vision of a new creation, right? So he places this vision of a new heaven and a new earth. And it's a place where joy replaces sorrow and peace overcomes conflict. It sounds like an amazing reality, right? Where all this comes together, right? And so this prophecy sets the stage for our understanding of God's transformative power and his promise of renewal. Now this meant something to Israel, but it also means something to believers today. It meant something to Israel, but it also means something for believers today because it speaks to the hope that underpins our faith, right? What's the difference between uh, us who believe that one day God's going to make everything right, that he's going to bring everything to fruition, and to those who think that everything in this life will just be what it is, and nothing will change that. What is the difference? Well, people who have hope, it's been proven that those with hope tend to endure, tend to push on, tend to keep moving, right? We've talked before about uh, Viktor Frankl's um, research into logotherapy, where he uh, became up, came up with this, this idea in the concentration camps uh, in Nazi Germany. And so he wrote a book about man's search for meaning. And he talked about the idea of hope and how if you had purpose and you had meaning and you had something to, to cling to, you were able to endure a lot more than if you said, you know what, it's hopeless. What we're doing is worthless. It has no meaning to it. So that's the difference, right? And so this was important for uh, individuals. And so as we're looking at this, 
I want us to think about what Israel would have thought about when they were thinking about this prophecy of a, of a new heaven and a new earth. But I also want to give you some additional info. There are a few different interpretations of this passage. And if you've studied it, you probably have come across those individual passages. But there's five different ways of understanding this. There's a historical and an immediate context, which that means that most scholars believe that uh, it was fulfilled in the historical context of the Israelites. That this isn't something that uh, current believers can, can hold to something happening, right? That this is something that's there, right? And so this perspective sees the prophecy uh, as an immediate message of hope and restoration for the people of that time. Now, most people don't believe this. This is just what some people believe, that it was fulfilled then, right? The most prominent two uh, interpretations of Isaiah 65 come uh, in this, the spiritual or symbolic fulfillment which interprets Isaiah 65 as being fulfilled in the spiritual sense through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They see the prophecy as indicative of the new covenant between God and humanity, where the coming of Jesus brings spiritual renewal and the promise of eternal life. So some people believe that. The third one that's the most popular probably is the eschatological fulfillment, right? The end-time fulfillment, right? This view holds that the complete fulfillment of Isaiah 65 is still the future, and will occur in the end times, right? The eschaton. And so proponents of this uh, view often point to the descriptions of a new heaven and a new earth, interpreting them as literal events that will transpire at the end of the current age. Now, I think that is probably, again, the most likely interpretation of this because we see even today where, uh, and this is not something that we enjoy talking about, but this is the reality of what we see that uh, through the war that we've seen between Hamas and Israel recently, uh, we've seen images of babies being murdered and destroyed in the streets. And, and the heinous things that are happening in those areas doesn't exude the idea of a new heaven and a new earth, a new creation where everything works together, right? Now, we know that sometimes the Bible is full of prophetic imagery, and there's, there's things that are embellished sometimes to, to create emphasis. But most scholars believe that this is uh, an event that is yet to fully be uh, determined, right? Now, there are some that say there's a partial fulfillment, uh, where they suggest that certain aspects of Psalm 65 may have been fulfilled historically or spiritually, but there are yet to come certain things, right? Now, it's interesting that oftentimes when we, and I think people do this all the time, oftentimes when people try to describe things in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, do you know what they rarely ever do when they try to describe things in the Old Testament? Find out what the Jewish people believe about it. It's like we're, we're arrogant. And we're like, well, let me find out what it means, right? So I've spent hours and hours listening to western people talk about sabbath so much i'm like i wonder where they get these ideas about sabbath from because when i read the jewish scholars and i read the, the rabbis and the rabbinical writings and i see how they understood sabbath to be it's vastly different than the way that we understand it to be and it almost puzzles my mind i'm like why don't they just Look at what the Jews, how the Jews celebrated and how they historically thought it was going to be and what it should be, right? So in this case, I think it's important for us to think about a Jewish interpretation. In the Jewish interpretation, they read Isaiah 65 as a messianic prophecy that is yet have to be fulfilled. They believe when the Messiah comes that he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth. Well, that lines up with what the Bible says that Jesus is going to do at his second coming, right? He's going to come back and he's going to establish a new heaven and a new earth right after he reigns for a thousand years, right? And so I think that's the, the meat of what this is trying to say to us. And why does all that matter? I think it, what it teaches us is that each of these interpretations, 
brings a different understanding of fulfillment. And individuals and religious traditions, they may align with one or the other. I mentioned the Jewish interpretation lines more closely with that end times perspective, but in other cases it doesn't. But I think it's important to understand that if somebody has an opinion like this, we should, we should kind of be flexible with that. The idea is not to argue about these things, but just to understand there are significance to this idea. And I want you to think about that as we're going through this. What would it look like to have a new heaven and a new earth? What would it look like for everything to be together again, right? That's what we see in Psalm 126, where it connects us to a joyful restoration. A joyful restoration. You see, we find a song of ascent that echoes this theme of restoration and joy. Now, what were the songs of ascent? They were sung uh, as the people made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. As they were ascending the hill, as they were going up to the hill, they sang these songs and they did it every year. And this is a reminder to them to get them ready, to get them prepared to receive from the Lord, to offer sacrifices to Him. And so this particular song of ascent reflects Israelites' joy upon returning from exile. So this was a post-exilic psalm where they were understanding the joy that they had to be able to make this journey. And so they were reminiscent of the joy that they find uh, and that we can find in God's promises. A joy that we can find in God's promises. It's a reminder that in God, and this is a beautiful idea, tears are turned into joy, right? What we sow in tears, we will reap in joy. And that's beautiful imagery and poetic uh, significance, right? But what does that signify for us? It signifies for us the redemptive power of faith. That if we put our faith, our hope in something, that what we might sow in tears, we will reap in joy. We will reap in joy. Now there is partial fulfillment of this restored joy in the new covenant. It's a partial fulfillment that we see here, right? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, if anyone comes to Christ, they are a new creation. Right? If anyone comes to Christ, they are a new creation. What is old has passed away, and what is new has come. You know, I've sat around the table from ordained ministers, leaders of organizations, right? And so I've, I've, I've sat across the table from them, and I've heard them say, before I came to Jesus... I was a drug dealer. I was strung out on all kinds of drugs. And I actually came to Jesus at a Grateful Dead concert. Right? I'm thinking, wow, I never would have thought looking at this person that they had that sort of journey, right? But what happens when the Lord begins to work in our lives? He doesn't just save us, but He begins to renew our minds. He begins to transform us. He begins to sanctify us. He begins to bring us from this place to the next. And oftentimes that's confusing for people, isn't it? They walk in the church and the enemy says, look at all these goody two-shoe Christians. They say all the right stuff. They do all the right things. I don't fit the mold. I'm not like any of these, these weirdos. I'm a real person. But what they don't realize is that so many people uh, have come from situations and circumstances where God has transformed their lives. That they're no longer the same person they were before Christ. And he has allowed them to, to walk through this new transition of life. And so what you see is uh, a further finished product than what they were before the Lord got a hold of them, right? That's what it means. If anyone comes to Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away and the new has come. Doesn't mean you lose who you are, but you begin to see who God created you to be. That's a, f a more fuller understanding of what it means. 
And so we see this reality played out in a powerful way. So what do we do in this new covenant? Because we're in this new covenant, right? What do we do in this new covenant? How do we respond appropriately in this way? I think 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, verses 12 through 28, teaches us that we have a call to live in the light. Right? If we've been called from darkness to light, if we've been given a new opportunity to walk as a new creation, then we have an opportunity to live uh, in the light. Now, most of you probably heard this passage, and all you heard was at the very end, it said, greet everyone with a sacred kiss. And you're like, I don't think that's what we're supposed to do today anymore. I'm, right? But some people probably like, hey, I'm going to, you know, you guys are probably going to be a little leery when we all ask you to go around and greet each other in a moment. You're going to be like, yo, if you try to kiss me, I will punch you in the face. Right? So that's a cultural thing, right? So that's, that's what we describe in, in the Bible as, as descriptive more than prescriptive, right? It's describing something that was, that was connecting into that Thessalonican culture. It doesn't mean that that translates into American culture. Now, some people may say, well, it should. Okay, we can have that debate later, but today is not that day, okay? So unless you have the appropriate permission like either by a marriage ring or it's a mother or a father or a, or, or a literal biological sibling, uh, don't, don't kiss anybody in here today, okay? That's not what I'm advocating, all right? Um, and so let's, let's continue to share that throughout the church as the day goes on. Let's not walk around kissing anybody. Um, so what Paul is saying, though, in this letter uh, to the Thessalonians is that he's encouraging them to, to live in harmony, to live in harmony, to live in unity, to live in respect, and to have care for one another. To understand that because we are now all walking together in our relationships with the Lord, that we should all walk in harmony. Now, harmony isn't always easy to achieve, right? I used uh, the, op- the idea of music last uh, week and how music can, can connect together in such a beautiful way, but if it isn't together, it, it loses some of its of ability to affect us and to move us. And so, that's the same thing that happens uh, in, in, in spiritual communities, in churches, in faith communities. If, if we don't push through some of the difficult moments to walk together in unity, it becomes difficult. But once we get it, it's beautiful. But walking in harmony is almost like uh, cutting the grass, right? You cut it, and then what happens? It grows back. You may have seasons where it doesn't grow as fast. You may have seasons where it's growing every week. So you've got to continue to cultivate it. You've got to continue to cut it. Because you want it to, to grow like it needs to, right? And so that's what we see here in these first three passages. But I just want to take a couple of minutes today and talk to you about how this all comes together to this core message, right? So we see this idea of a new heaven and a new earth. We see this idea of joy being restored and this idea of us living in the light as a result of knowing this commitment that we have and this opportunity in this new covenant But John 3 invites us to see that there's a reality of humility and the joy in decreasing. That seems odd, right? Humility and the joy in decreasing. That's a concept that's almost foreign in our culture. It's like, I should take joy in uh, being less and less and less successful in the world's eyes so that the Lord will become more and more prominent in what people see. That's essentially what John was saying saying and so we come to this passage today and what we see here is that john the baptist epitomizes humility so when his disciples expressed concern about jesus baptizing 
nearby and attracting more followers, John responds in a way that they weren't expecting. He responds in a way with profound humility and with joy. Imagine that. He, he sees Jesus baptizing people nearby, and he knows and believes that he has accomplished his mission to prepare the way. And so he's rejoicing in that. He understands his role in God's plan. He understands his role in God's plan. What is that role? He must decrease so that God can increase. Right? Now I think some of you are probably thinking, I know what humility means. <laughs> right? But what is humility, right? So I'm going to give you the internet's definition of humility, okay? Humility is a personal quality characterized by a lack of arrogance or pride and an accurate and modest view of one's importance, abilities, and achievements. It involves recognizing and accepting one's limitations and faults and being open to learning, growth, and guidance. Humility also includes a respectful attitude towards others, valuing their worth and contributing equally to one's own. In many spiritual and philosophical traditions, humility is seen as a virtue that fosters understanding, empathy, and compassion, leading to harmonious relationships and a balanced sense of self. But it often involves a willingness to serve others and place their needs above one's desires or recognition. So that's what John the Baptist did here, right? He, he was willing to do what needed to be done to prepare the way for the Lord, the coming of the Lord. And he did so by serving and by placing the needs of others in front of his own. And he was teaching his disciples something. And I think he's teaching us something today in that. How are we responding in that moment, right? So that's humility. But what is joy? What is joy? I think joy is a feeling, according to the internet, right? Which is never always correct, but um, rarely is it, is it always correct, right? Joy is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. I do appreciate that it understands the difference between joy and happiness, so you'll see that. It is a deep-seated emotion often described as more enduring and profound than mere happiness, which can be more fleeting and dependent on external circumstances. Joy can arise from various sources, such as fulfilling relationships, personal achievements, spiritual enlightenment, and appreciating beauty or nature. But unlike happiness, which external events or material possessions might trigger, joy is frequently associated with a state of contentment, inner peace, and a sense of well-being that persists regardless of external conditions. It's often linked to a connection to others, nature, or a higher purpose, right? In many spiritual traditions, joy uh, is a profound aspect of human experience, usually connected to realizing deeper truths, love, and gratitude. So again, it's often linked to a connection to others. So that's joy, right? So the Bible says that John describes joy and humility that Jesus is progressing in this way. You shut up. See, the internet's trying to correct me again. No, that's not what I said. I said this. I'll do the talking right now. What do we see about John's attitude here, right? We know that he expresses joy and humility. But he reflects an understanding of being uh, part of something greater than himself. You guys understand that, that we also have that opportunity to understand that we are part of something greater than ourselves. 
that the kingdom of God transcends us, right? So when during worship, when we were talking about uh, the communion of saints and all the heavenly hosts that are around the throne singing the song of ages, that we are a part of something that spans a greater deal of time than just our lives. Now that's important to remember because sometimes we think that the world revolves around the last hundred years. But the world has been going a long time. And some of that is the way that we're indoctrinated in our culture. But also it's because, you know, we don't have the ability to really understand what culture looked like, you know, past 100 years. Because we see remnants of essence of what the culture was, but it's mostly very current in the way things are, certainly in the Western world. Now you go to other places of the world and you feel like, my goodness, it's like they're doing the same thing that they were doing 400 years ago. Right? There are even places in America like that. Right? There are certain communities that intentionally remain primitive in their lifestyle because they think that's the best way for them to live. When I lived in Ohio, there were so many Amish communities. And so we appreciated them for their way of life, but also uh, for their baked goods. They used to make the most delicious eclairs. And we used to go to this place called Der Dutchman. And they had the best declares. And I'm like, if this is what it means to be Amish, sign me up, man. I started growing a beard and letting, changing my name to Jimothy. Um, so there are certain things that are primitive, right, in that, in that um, regard, right? But I, there's something for, for us to think about in all this, right? So I don't want you guys to, to get lost in all that silliness. There's something for us to think about, Okay. And, and so I want us to think about what it means to understand humility. And I want to ask you a few questions today as we're finishing up here. How does John the Baptist's statement that he must increase, but I must decrease, how does that challenge your understanding of humility? In what ways can we apply this principle in our own life and spiritual journey that he must increase, but we must decrease? John the Baptist understood his role as preparing the way for Jesus. How do you perceive your role in God's plan? What is our role? I think our role isn't much different, but I want you to think about, Lord, what is my role? Because we are preparing the world for His coming. We are preparing ourselves for His coming. This season of Advent is all about us thinking about His coming, His Advent, His second Advent. It recognizes his first advent but for us during this advent season it's all about us preparing our hearts for his second coming and so are there areas in our lives where we need to decrease so god's purpose can be more fully realized in our lives is there an area that we need to address so that he can be glorified see john expressed joy in jesus's success even as it meant his ministry would diminish think about that John began to celebrate and find joy that his ministry was going to diminish more and more and that Jesus' ministry was going to increase. I want you to think about this. What does true joy in God's service look like in your life? How can you find joy in the success of others? Especially in a spiritual context, right? Because sometimes we struggle with that in our culture. If somebody else is succeeding, we want to go, yeah, but... You know, we want to try to find fault with what they're doing and we want to try to do this. But the reality is, is if we are all working towards the glory of God, then if God allows someone to flourish, then we should rejoice in that if the kingdom of God is being glorified. If, we, if somebody gets an accolade or some sort of praise, we should, we should 
rejoice in that because God is getting glorified. And so we need to allow ourselves to understand the importance of joy in serving. Because John's disciples were concerned about Jesus' growing popularity. So there's a question for you to think about today. How do you deal with feelings of comparison or competition in your community? Workplace or spiritual life? How do we deal with that? Do we compare ourselves to others? Do we, do we try to meet that standard so that we can feel a certain way? Or do we understand that God is wanting us to, to focus on Him? See, John the Baptist was a witness to the truth of Jesus. So the question I want you to think about today is how can I be a witness to the truth of Jesus in my daily life? How can I be a witness? How can I do what He's called me to do and live the way He wants me to live? The concept of decreasing is an interesting thing. What does decreasing mean in a modern Christian life? You guys know what it meant for me? I'm going to tell you what it meant for me. It meant for me moving the pulpit this way. It meant for me bringing the altar up here so that when we end service, I'm not standing in front or above our Lord. I'm just down here, just like you guys are. Because I need His forgiveness and His love just as much as you guys do. That's what it meant for me to decrease. Because I don't want you guys to ever think that the, the, the ultimate moment for you guys to come to church is to listen to me stand here and talk to you. Everything is leading up to the moment where we break bread together. Where we can share in communion together. That's what it means for me to decrease. But for you, it might just be humbling yourself and being willing to serve and to do something behind the scenes. We have so many servants in this house, and I'm so thankful for them for being able to do that without, without regard, right? We, we, don't, we don't have a massive budget. I don't know if you guys knew that, but we don't have uh, a massive budget and so we have volunteers that do so many things because they know it's building the kingdom. And it's a wonderful thing to think about. And so in what ways do you identify with John the Baptist's experience? Have there been times where you've had to step aside and change direction for the greater good or a higher purpose? Right? Sometimes you have to fight those feelings of, well, I don't feel like people are seeing me or they're valuing me the way that they need to. And sometimes we have to battle that stepping aside for the greater good. You see, John's situation changed as Jesus' ministry grew. So how do you respond to change? How do you respond to change uh, when it deviates from what you thought it was going to, to look like? Mainly when it affects our plans. Nobody likes that, right? When you make plans, and then those plans are changed. Nobody, nobody enjoys that. But that's important to understand because if our expectation our status or our plans are changed and they're affected, but it's promoting the kingdom of God. How do we respond to that? Now this passage of what we read in John 3 speaks about God's timing. So how does this passage speak to understanding and accepting God's timing in our lives? Because there are various aspects and various ways that we can understand this in our lives, but how does His timing and the placement of his timing of events affect our lives. So here's how you apply the message, all right? What is one specific way this week that you can apply the message of this passage to your life? That he must increase. I must decrease. I must decrease so that he might increase.
I'm going to give you a few practical applications. We need to embrace humility. Embrace it. Like John the Baptist, we're called to embrace humility. We're called to recognize that our lives are a part of a grand narrative that God is writing. That He is specific about our lives, but we don't always have to be the main protagonist in every story. We need to embrace humility. Our purpose is to serve and glorify Him, not ourselves. Our purpose is to serve and glorify Him. And we need to find joy in God's plan. You see, the joy we see in Psalm 126 and Isaiah is a joy that you and I can claim. That's why I spent some time talking about the various interpretations. Because I wanted us to understand that that was a joy that we can claim. That's a joy that we can understand that is yet to be fulfilled, to be accomplished. We can claim that because it comes from understanding that we are a part of God's redemptive plan. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, right? That whosoever believed in Him would not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life. We're a part of God's redemptive plan. And that promise is a creation, a new creation, full of peace and happiness. And so we should find joy in God's plan. We should find joy in it. We should live in harmony and light. As hard as it is, we should endeavor to live in harmony and to walk in light. We need to live in a way that reflects the new creation we know that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, right? So we've already experienced it. We've already experienced glimpses of God taking us from a place of darkness to a place of light. So let's, let's walk in light. Let's be the light. Let's be who God's called us to be. That's what our message is. That's the application for us today. And we, in doing that, we can anticipate the new creation. We can anticipate that one day all of the pain, all the sorrow, all the hardship, all the trauma of this life will soon go away. And we can rejoice in God's goodness. So as we commit to reflect on these passages today, as we think about what God is doing in our lives, I want us to focus in on what it looks like to live a life of humility and joy. And a life of anticipation of what God is going to do. My prayer for us today is that our lives would decrease. In terms of us focusing so much on us. So that the light of Christ might increase in us. I want to leave you with an illustration. Okay? About the moon and the sun. The moon and the sun. It's a tale of reflecting greater light. I mentioned to you the, the eclairs in Ohio from the Amish people that were amazing. But another thing that I found so amazing is that the part of Ohio that I lived in was, was very agricultural and very remote. And some of you live in parts of Virginia Beach that didn't have as much light pollution, but I live in the Vibe District. And it's vibing all the time. And so there's light pollution everywhere. So very rarely do I get to walk outside and go, oh man, what a beautiful night sky. It's so bright and vivid. Now sometimes it's so bright that it supersedes and it transcends all of the, the light pollution. But for some of you who live in parts of Virginia Beach or parts of, of Hampton Roads where it's not as busy, you can go outside and you can see stars and you can see the moon. And, and those moments are beautiful for you to think about. right? But imagine a beautiful night where the moon shines brightly 
glowing gently over the landscape, right? Most of the time, if you can appreciate that, you can marvel at its beauty and you can say, wow, what a wonderful thing to think about. But there's often a crucial fact that I'm sure you guys are aware of, but some people aren't aware of. But I think it's a great reminder for us today that the moon does not generate its own light. The moon doesn't generate its own light. Where does it get its, where, where does it shine bright? Where does, where does it, where does it, where does it get its light from? It reflects the light of the sun. Right? So when the moon is shining bright, it's reflecting the light of the sun. And so what is the moon's purpose? Well, in, in addition to many things, the moon's purpose is not to outshine the sun, but to reflect its more excellent light especially in times of darkness. So you and I are not the Messiah either, right? John the Baptist isn't the Messiah. You and I aren't the Messiah. But you know who, what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to reflect the light of the sun. We're supposed to reflect the light of the Messiah. Just like John the Baptist knew that he wasn't there to be the Messiah, but he was to rejoice and prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And so the moon goes through phases, and sometimes appearing full and bright, other times only as a thin crescent. But regardless of its stage, the moon's primary role remains to reflect the sun's light. It serves its purpose, even when it's just a sliver in the sky. Now, some of you guys probably feel like that sometimes, right? Like, hey, I don't feel like my light's shining real bright today. Right? And for some of us, we're tempted to go, you know what, I need to just, like, chill out and not do anything. But even a sliver of us shining our lights is a reflection of our Lord. And so my encouragement to you today is to keep on walking in the light. Keep on living in the light. Don't let yourself get discouraged, right? So I'm going to give you, leave you with these things here. The moon's decrease illuminates the sun's brilliance. Right? As the moon goes down, the sun's brilliance becomes more apparent, right? Now that's interesting because if you read passages in the Bible, one of the things that is described uh, is this moment where this morning star, it's where we get the word Lucifer from. It's a Hebrew word. It says, Halel ben Shekhar, right? It's the bright morning star, the sun of the morn, right? It's the, it's the star Venus, right? But, but that, that imagery is used to describe an entity, right? That oftentimes we describe as Satan when he fell from heaven, right? But this idea here of this morning star is that it, would, it was unwilling to yield to the sun's brilliance it was unwilling to yield to to the sun's rising and so it stayed as long as it could and so if you go outside and you look at the sky you will often see the star venus it's considered the morning star because it it's the one that shines the brightest and is out in the sky the longest before the sun comes up and it blocks it all out so that imagery is used to describe of, of a pr the pride that would well up inside an entity to think that they could rise above the sun the brilliance of the sun. I think it's important for us to understand the moon, when it decreases, it illuminates the sun's brilliance. When you and I decrease, as John decreases, he illuminated Christ's brilliance. Think about that. When you and I take joy in decreasing, we allow God's brilliance to illuminate in our lives. There are different phases of the moon, but it's the same purpose. You know, there are different phases in our lives where we are letting our light shine in certain ways, but it's the same purpose. 
right? Like the moon, we go through different phases in our spiritual lives. Sometimes we're full of energy and visible in our faith, right? So you guys, once you get in there and you start eating breakfast or you're engaging in certain ways, you are thriving. But there are times where you're struggling. But the same purpose remains in our lives, whatever the phase we're in. And the moon illuminates the darkness. You see, the moon is most appreciated in the darkest nights. Think about that for a second. If we live in a world or we feel like the world is becoming darker and darker and it's becoming difficult to see the light in different communities, that should be a reminder to us that our commission into this world is to go into all the world and to spread the gospel message of Jesus. To let the light of Christ shine so that others will see Him. See, that's the moment where the moon expresses its most. And it's not our light, but it's His light. Amen? It's not our light, but it's His light. So I want you to think about that for a few moments. Can we take a few moments and just focus our hearts on what the Lord has revealed to us today in His Word? He's revealed to us the importance of trusting Him. He's revealed to us the importance of walking in His light. Walking in His light. And so what does it look like for us to embrace humility and hope in God's new creation? What does it look like for us to embrace that, that hope in God's new creation? I think if we walk in the light, if we embrace humility, if we anticipate the Lord's coming, if we understand the desire and the need for us to do that, then we can begin to walk in that. We can embrace humility we can find joy in God's plan. We can live in harmony and light and we can anticipate the new creation. So Lord, would you help us today? Would you help us today to, to be at peace about where you are leading us and what you are doing in our lives? Lord, I often struggle at times with wanting to continue to push and to, to grow and to, to challenge, Lord, and I think you call us to continue to be drawn closer to you, Lord. But sometimes we, we judge that off of the world's metrics and the world's standards. Lord, help us today to be at peace knowing that if we are living our lives to bring you glory and honor, that you will continue uh, to lead us and guide us. And that your light would continue to shine brighter and brighter in and through our lives so that we could bring you glory and honor. Lord, we thank you today. Lord, may you help us today to remove the things, to, to surrender to you today, the things that we need to, Lord. Lord, many of us often are found in need of repentance when it comes to the things that we do in this life. And so, Lord, we're sorry for the times that we've missed the mark, for the times that we have made it about us and not about you, for the times where we have decided to be the focal point instead of allowing you to be the source for times when we have rejected you and not given you the the strength and the power that you need and you deserve god Lord, would you help us today to not grow weary and would you be glorified today in our humility to humble ourselves and to come together to walk in harmony together to walk in peace today, to offer that peace to one another 
and then to come down here together as one body and to commune with you. Lord, would you help us today? Amen. Amen. We love you, Lord. Amen. Can we do that for a few moments? Can you just offer each other the gift of peace today as we prepare to, our hearts to receive from the Lord? Amen. Amen. Tim, do you mind helping me this morning, man? Um, the way we'd like to do it today, guys, is we'd, we'd love to, as you come down here and prepare your hearts to take communion, um, we want to make it available for you if you need prayer for anything, for you to come down here and receive prayer. And so uh, Diana's going to be here uh, to offer prayer to you. Uh, Tim, Heather, and Joseph and myself will be down here to offer prayer to you. But I'm going to be in the middle offering you bread. So sometimes I know it's a little confusing on which side to go to. So I'm going to have uh, Tim be on this side and Joseph be on this side. So when you guys come and take the bread, if you need prayer, come to this side, okay? Diana's going to be over here. If you don't need prayer, go to this side, okay? Does that make sense? Easy enough, right? If you need prayer, come to the right side. If you don't need prayer, go to the wrong side. All right? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> because we want you guys to know that it's important for us to do that, okay? And so we're going to be here to offer you guys that so that you can, you can receive from the Lord. Don't feel like I'm going to judge you if you don't come and get prayer. But I, I want you to know that it's available for you. And it's important, right? So that's why we do it today. But we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the privilege to be able to come to you, Lord, and to honor you. Lord, help us today as we focus our hearts that we would continue to be mindful of this saying, Lord, that is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus, our Lord, came into the world to save sinners. Lord, we thank you for that today. We thank you that we can walk in peace today. We thank you that we can declare as we sang today with your heavenly host, holy, 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 Lord God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Lord, we thank you today that we can do that. And we ask today, Lord, as we sanctify and pray a prayer of consecration over these host, God, this bread and this, these cups, Lord, this bread and this wine, God, that you would be present, Lord, as you were the night that you were present with your disciples. Lord, help us to understand that, Lord, that you and your infinite love sent your son to die for us so that we could be free. That's why we proclaim the mystery of the faith, Lord, that Christ died Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. We thank you, Lord, for that today. And so, Lord, we celebrate today the memorial of our redemption. We thank you. And, Lord, we pray today that you would sanctify these elements, God, to be for us, your people, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you sanctify our hearts to receive it today. We thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice and be mindful today that on the night before our Lord was to be betrayed, Lord, he took bread and he took 
the cup, Lord. And in taking the bread, Lord, he took it and he broke it and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he took it and he broke it after giving thanks. Thank you, Lord, for your body that was broken for us. May we never grow weary of understanding what you endured for us. Likewise, he took the cup and we know that he gave thanks to it. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is my blood, which is shed for you. As often as you do this, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he shared it with his disciples. One of the things I love about being able to share the cup with you guys is that it's a sign of covenant. That you and I are in covenant together with each other and covenant with God. That's what it means. That's wedding, Jewish wedding imagery. Where when you were getting ready to get into a covenant with your spouse, you would pass the cup to them. And if they took the cup and they drank the cup, that means that they were identifying all of this was something they agreed with and that they wanted to be in union with you. That's what it means for us to do it. And so I love the cup. We give you guys individual cups too because we don't want you to, to understand. You know, that we want that to be available to you. But, but this cup is special. That's why I have this cup up here, guys, because to me it's a joy to be able to share with you and to be able to walk together in Christ. Amen? So I want to take a few moments and I want to share with those who are going to serve today. And I want us to prepare our hearts as we do that. Joseph, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven broken for you, my friend. The blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, we're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that uh, brings glory to God. So thank you, guys. Take care.